Amen. We're in the parable series over the summer, and uh, so I am just one of the speakers. We have a, a great teaching team, and they have been uh, sharing every week. And man, we were so blessed last week and the week before uh, by our teaching team members, and they have just been fantastic, knocking the ball out of the park. We have some more coming up. I had uh, agreed to take on some of the ones that, uh, as we look through these, they felt were a little more challenging. So uh, I want to uh, share with you today a, a parable out of uh, Luke chapter 16. Uh, Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. The rich man and Lazarus. I'm going to ask you, invite you to stand for the reading of God's word when you find your place there. Luke chapter 16, beginning at verse 19. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus full of sores, and he was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And so it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels of Abraham's bos into Abraham's bosom. Uh, the rich man also died and was buried, and being in torments uh, in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in the flames. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise, Lazarus, the evil things. And now he is comforted, and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us there, uh, and you, there is a great gulf fixed. So those who would want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those who uh, from there pass to us. And then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send uh, him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. And Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, my father Abraham, but if one goes from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Heavenly Father, we come to you grateful for your word. We ask that your precious Holy Spirit would bring life to these words today. That they would not only be letters on the page, but life and sustenance to us. That we might better understand what you are communicating through this parable for us today. And we thank you for that, Lord Jesus, and open our hearts to you and your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you're seated. The parable of the rich man and Lazarus tells of a wealthy man who ignored God and went to hell, but it also tells of the beggar, Lazarus, who believed in God and he went to heaven. Each of the two parables that are told in Luke chapter 16 begin with a rich man. Uh, Luke chapter 16, verse 1, there was a certain rich man who had a, a manager handling his affairs. And then in Luke chapter 16 and 19, as we read, there was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and lived 
in each day in luxury. It's interesting to go back as well to the 15th chapter of Luke uh, to see that Jesus is on a little mini-series. You thought I was the only one that taught series. Uh, there is another parable there about uh, a person of wealth that we talked about this, this past week, past Sunday. So if you go back and you take a look at that, you'll see uh, 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 there was this story had involved great possessions as well. And it's interesting that Jesus is communicating through this mini-series as he's sharing through these parables uh, some very important understandings about wealth, about the Word of God, about how we receive truth into our lives, how we handle material possessions that are around us. Now through this story, Jesus warns that it is impossible for you to serve uh, both God and money. And that's one of the themes that are played out over these parables. And uh, he also tells that in order to serve God, you must first trust in his word. You must be one who trusts in his word and believes in his word. So unpacking this poignant parable uh, demonstrates the importance of believing God's word. If scripture does not cause us to trust in God, uh, the parable really relates to us that nothing will. Now, this is the story of two men and five brothers. And in this story, there are two main characters, the rich man and Lazarus. And so first important thing that I think to note here is that only one of them gets a speaking part. And so we, we learn more really about the heart and understanding of the rich man. And that's some of the things I want to unpack and take a look at because he's the one that has the speaking parts. Now we know that the rich man was rich by his clothing, uh, purple and fine linen. It was an extreme sign of wealth in that day. In order to uh, get the color purple, a certain kind of shellfish had to be squeezed in the process uh, that required thousands of those shellfish being squeezed to get enough dye to dye the clothing. And so this would have been noticeable in the time in which he lived, his clothing would have, would have brought great attention, would have identified him immediately as a wealthy or rich person, uh, successful in his world. And, and much uh, as, as in our day, maybe someone walking uh, uh, you know, past us uh, wearing an Armani suit and a Rolex watch might get our attention and we might think that guy, you know, he's succeeded in life in terms of, of what we think about in world success. And we might think of him, that's a, that's a wealthy man. That's a man, maybe, maybe we even go as far as to think he has fewer problems than I do, right? And here he is, he is described in, in the passage, a rich man, as one who lived each day in luxury. Now that verb is interesting because it relates to the parable that we, we talked about last week. Uh, it goes on to say, you know, he, he fared sumptuously every day, he, he, and, and it relates to that, that Greek word that's used there is also the similar to the word that is used, or the same as the word that is used when uh, the prodigal is uh, celebrated, and there's that great feast. You remember the calf was killed and the feast was prepared. And, and in, the, in this instance, what it's pointing out to us in this passage is that every day for this man was a feast, a party, and a celebration of all of his wealth. And every day was a day to celebrate his wealth and to enjoy the finest things that were available for him in his day and in his time. And in this story, uh, as we enter into the passage, there is 
immediate deep contrast that's going on here. The focus of the story changes quickly, and, and the focus is now on, uh, it begins with the rich man and he, you know, all the wonderful things, the luxury, his clothing, uh, the great feast, all that kind of stuff, and then just this huge shift. All of a sudden, we see a picture of a man named Lazarus. And it says in verse 20, But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, and laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the man's table. Now before we go much further, I think it's really important to point out, this is not a minor issue in this particular parable, that this man was given a name in the parable. I have a, a reason to believe that, that you know, uh, understand why he was, his name was given, and in other passages the names are not given. You might remember as we read through the parables that Jesus tells uh, no name, uh, uh, gives no name of, of the characters in the other parables, uh, only, you know, titles or, or nouns, a certain man, it says, or a steward, or a rich man, or a woman has ten silver coins, or a, or a man prepared a great feast, and so on and on. We, we read these parables and we get in our minds this picture of the story, but we don't have a name. And in this instance, a name is given. And I suspect that one of the reasons that it was comfortable to give this name was that this was a story of a, of a man who had passed. And, and so Jesus, not wanting to call out the attention, this is just in my mind and my opinion, not wanting to call out the attention of particular individuals, you know. Uh, they, you know, if he started a story and said there was a certain uh, woman named Sarah of, of, uh, of Nazareth, you know, and all those people, oh, you're Sarah and you live in Nazareth. Jesus is talking about you. <laughs> but in this instance, the person that is being ta talked about, the name that is being given, is the name of a man who has already gone to receive his reward. And that's my thought on the deal. Now, this, this poor man uh, is at the gate of the rich man, and he is identified as Lazarus or Eleazar which translates, God will help. And, and it is a striking contrast for us as we see this poor man with sores uh, and a disease and laid you know, at, to, to beg at, at, at the gate of a rich man, and his name is God will help. <laughs> it's a striking contrast, isn't it? That, what's your name? God will help. God's not helping you very much. He's laying at the gate of a rich man who will not let him in, who is not sharing with him any of the, the things that he has, the trappings of his riches. And, and uh, he, is, he is there, he is, he is uh, diseased, he is, he is hurting, he's in pain. He obviously has friends who bring him and lay him at the gate. And so he has some relationships in life, but it doesn't look much like God will help, does it? And here is the rich man from the, the worldview it looks like God has helped. <laughs> you know, God has richly helped. And man, you, you have it all. And in, in the eyes of, of those around him, this guy, you know, God is helping. God is doing something for. But as the story moves forward, we discover the great equalizer happens, and that is death. Death has, does not recognize class distinction it says, so it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels of Abraham uh, into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus 
in his bosom. I think one of the things as I was reading just through that passage that jumps out at us is that sadly, what it will take for some people to see right is a trip to hell. Rich man had a life of not being able to see what was right. But in hell, he lifts up his eyes and he sees suddenly differently. The rich man also died and was buried, it says, and being in torment of hell, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham afar off. You know, this is the first time that the rich man has, has had to look up, in a sense, of, of looking for something. He's been able to take care of all of his needs, to, uh, to, to have his needs served by servants and to be taken care of. And just even if he's thinking about something, somebody probably has read his mind and already gone to get extra water or, or wine or whatever he needs to take care of him. It's, it's not been a life where he's had to look up. It's been a life where he's looked down a lot. And he has, he has been looking down on others in his entire life, but in this moment, he sees right for the first time in his, in his life, and he, and he lifts up his eyes. Another striking thing about this passage is that seeing right does not equal living right. He, he could see those who were at peace and in comfort because of the righteousness uh, that they righteousness of, that they had lived, the righteousness of God's blessing upon their life, but he had no concept of what he could have done that would have changed his outcome, and it's it's revealed as you unfold the story. I, I think it's it, it's remarkable that when you listen to him, it's almost as if he's barking out orders, and he still thinks he's in charge. Now he recognizes there's an office. You know, and that the, the office of Abraham, and, he, and so he greets them in according to his office as he might a, a magistrate or something in his lifetime. But listen to what he says. You know, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Send Lazarus. So if, you know, Lazarus, he's just, he's just a servant. He's never been, he's never really acquired or reached a status. So send him over here and have that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. He's not conscious of anybody else around him suffering or anything else that's going on, but he's, he's zeroed in on, uh, I'm, I, need, I need this taken care of. Send somebody over here. And then he says, I am tormented in the flames. So we have me, send, my, I, it's as if he is, in a sense, still barking out orders as if he's in charge of anything. Send my servants to comfort me and take care of me. But Abraham sets the record straight and he says to him, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. And then he also goes on to remind him, Abraham uh, goes on to point out that there's a great fixed gulf between the comforted and the tormented. There has been uh, different kinds of um, scholarship on this issue. You know, was he looking across the great gulf, you know, one place here and one place there, Hades here, 
paradise here and uh, maybe a little down and so he's looking up but he's looking across or looking vertically Hades here and paradise here looking up and realizing that there's such a great gulf that cannot be traversed it is fixed by God and the clock has finished on life and whatever lot you find yourself in now is your eternal lot and there will be no bargaining I love um, C.S. Lewis's book The Great Divorce I've read it several times and it is a a book of fiction uh, where C.S. Lewis takes a look at what if um, God decided to span that gulf and he sends a bus down to hell and he picks up people who would be willing to climb on the bus and gives them one more opportunity at the gates of heaven. It's remarkable how he paints the pictures of each of these personalities and what's going on. And even from the beginning, there's fighting and hatred and bitterness and all of this, you know, even before they board the bus and then they get on the bus, there's disagreement and argument and and then they get off the bus and and there's challenges and fighting and people seeing things and uh, that in in a spiritual world being tempted and drawn back, a picture of a man who's uh, struggling with an addiction and it's painted as a lizard who's sitting on the side of his, his shoulder and keeps whispering in his ear and saying, you know, if you don't go forward with, with it into the kingdom, I'm going to be nicer. I'm going to treat you better. And I'm not going to be as, as bad as I was before. And uh, the angel of the Lord looking to come out and touch that, that affliction, that, that addiction that's placed itself upon the shoulders of that man. And he said, will you let me kill it? And, and the man in, is arguing back and forth with the entity that's on his shoulder and it goes on for a while, and finally the man says, he's, he fears that if, he kill, if you kill the addiction, you kill me. And finally he allows the angel to reach out and touch it and kill it. What a glorious moment. That for the first time, he can see the truth. And he can see life. At this point in the story, uh, there is uh, another transition where there is kind of an acceptance um, of the lot in life of the eternal status by the rich man. He arrives at a place where he's, where he's kind of, you know, uh, he's, he, he was told by Abraham, you're not getting there, we're not coming there, you had your chance and your opportunity in life. And, and so there's, there seems to be suddenly a, a settling. I kind of had this, this in, in, you know, for myself this week, not, not as deeply theologic as this, but in, in a situation that I was having in a confrontation where I felt I was right and I was arguing the point and there came a place where the head of this uh, situation came and showed me um, that I was not right. <laughs> and there's this, this thing that settles in on you. It's like, well, you know, it's not going to be what I was hoping or what I was thinking. It's actually going to be this. This is the situation. And that's the settling that you see taking place in this next passage in the life of the rich man here. He says, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. Now he can see other people. 
And he says, for I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. And it seems as if in this moment he's saying, I'm, I'm willing to accept my fate. I'm here. There's no way for me to get out of this. There's no comfort in this. I am going to be an eternally tormented. But can you warn my brothers not to come here? There, there's a compassion that happens in him in this moment that you don't see in the story previously. There's, there's an opening of understanding here. Uh, this is my lot in life, but I have brothers. Send somebody to warn them. The clock is still ticking for them. Time is still running. Can you, can you send someone to warn them? And this statement by Abraham that is the eternal statement for all of us to understand and, and deeply ingrain in our life and time, and that is, he says, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. I want to clarify what he's saying here. This passage is not speaking of Moses, the man, the leader, the legend, <laughs> but it's a reminder of the commandments that Moses brought down, the commandments for life from the mountain. It's the Pentateuch, the law. The Jewish people to this day refer to the Old Testament scriptures as Moses and the prophets. It's common, even to this day. They'll say, we're, we're going we're gonna to read from Moses and the prophets. and read the Pentateuch and read the prophets and, and understand what God is saying to us in this hour, in this moment. The reminder for the rich man on, uh, of how often he had listened to these commands, heard these commands, grown up with this understanding, and yet had chose to disobey them, had chose to live a, a life that he wanted to live. And, and it, was, it was a settling understanding that's, that's coming and the sad, truthful conclusion is he says, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. The good news is easily available. It was available in his day. It's easily available in our day, even more so. It was in the day of the, the, the rich man, in his story, it was available. In our day, it's much more available through uh, access. We are easily able to lay our hands on what God says on his word. And the question then becomes, what are we going to do in time, the time that you and I have right now and the breath and the life that we have right now, about our eternity? It is a vivid picture for us that the clock will run out and it will be fixed one place or another eternally. And the gospel question for us is, is who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? If you were as old as I am, you might remember in the 1970s there was a common question that was asked, it's, it just seemed like, you know, uh, it wasn't, you know, daily, it was weekly in the Christian church that this question came up 
something along this line. If you were to die tonight and were at the gates of heaven, what reason would you give the gatekeeper to let you into heaven? If you were to die tonight and find yourself at the gates of heaven, what reason would you give the gatekeeper they should open up and let you in? It's Alistair Begg who said that if, you, if you're standing there in that moment and you begin with, I was a good person, I tried not to do what was bad, I lived my life uh, to be an example of goodness, if you begin your statement with something like, I went to church, I, I spent uh, time looking at the Bible and studying it, I listened to a lot of sermons. He said, if, that answer, if the answer to that question begins with I, me, we, you're hopelessly lost. The question has to begin with he yes. Yes. laid his life down for me. He gave everything to me. I love how he put the story of the three men on the cross. He was sharing that, you know, the one man who Jesus invited to paradise. And he said, can you imagine that fellow, you know, up in heaven standing at the gates and they're saying, you know, how did you get here? I, I don't see your name here. Did you, can we see your Sunday school pen? <laughs> Have you read through the Bible? No. Do you know uh, um, a favorite scripture? Do you have a life passage? How did you get here? The man on the middle cross said I could come. Titus 3 and 5, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. I want to invite the worship team to come. We are in a, a sacred moment right now, I believe, where it is good for us to examine our hearts before the Lord. In a moment, we'll be receiving communion, but prior to that, we're invited in Scripture to examine our own hearts. If we, my uh, former pastor, Michelle's dad, who I worked with for a number of years, I love the way he talked about this. He said, you know, talked about water baptism, that if you're, uh, you know, if you are not a Christian and you get baptized, he said, you go in a dry center and you come out a wet one. <laughs> I think similar thing could be said of communion, you know, that if we're not committed, we're just eating a wafer and drinking a drink. If we have not that relationship with Christ, but today he's inviting us to make a decision in time, in time right now for our lives. You who are watching online, uh, you'll have a moment to gather some elements if you want. It could be as simple as just water and crackers in your house, it's the symbol of what we are doing and not so much the substance of, of what we're holding in our hands. 
But I want to invite those who are online listening, I want to invite you here to bow your heads with me for a moment. If this is something that God is convicting you about and you're, you're thinking as I did in the 1970s as a teenager, you know, thinking, man, do I really have the right answer when I get to the gate, you know? Um, it isn't what I do. Every royal religion is all about what we do to get to higher levels, you know, and, and get more favor with that particular God, with Buddha, Muhammad, whatever you want to put in the slot. But it's different in Christianity. We don't belong in the grouping with religions because it's not about anything we've done. It's about what has been done for us through Christ Jesus. And we are humbled to stand in the presence of God and to say, man, I, I absolutely did nothing to inherit this wonderful gift of salvation except just surrender my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and to say, I want to be a member of your kingdom. I want to follow you all the days of my life. And if that's you and you need to make that commitment today, would you just slip your hand up while no one's looking around, every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Yes, thank you, Jesus. Today is the day of salvation, today of new beginnings. Would you pray this prayer with me? And if you mean it from your heart, you're inviting Jesus to be the Lord and the leader of your life. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, let's say it together again. Lord Jesus, I invite you to be the leader of my life. I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. I believe you died for me, and I believe you rose again. And I want to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Remove that which represents the body of the Lord Jesus on the top part of Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for this gift, your body that was broken for us. And the part of the mission of the church is that we become the body that is broken for our world. That they can receive sustenance and, and life and help by virtue of, of, of having some of Jesus in their life. The fullness of Jesus in us to share with others, Lord, the good news of the gospel. We ask you, Lord, to help us to be obedient to that. We thank you so much for your sacrifice for us. And as we receive this, we're reminded of what was done for us. Not what we have done. Not what we do, but what was done for us. In Jesus' name, receive that which represents the body of the Lord. Father, we thank you for the shed blood on Calvary. Thank you, Jesus, for the ultimate sacrifice, the spilling out of the life of the body, it says in Leviticus, is the blood. The spilling out of the life, every drop represents forgiveness. And it was done and finished for us and how grateful we are. And as we celebrate today the memory of what you accomplished for us on Calvary. We rejoice in our future and our hope 
as a result of what was done for us, Lord Jesus. In your name, amen.